Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Another has ever known except for every other Christian because he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us, each and every one of us, that knowing that we're his own, right? The joy we share as we tarry there. Every other Christian has known. We can sing it that way. All right. Feels like none other sometimes to us. So. All right. Well, we're going to be back at Romans 8 again today. And last week we kind of finished up adoption and we were talking about that, but today we want to talk a little bit about suffering is kind of what we want to talk about. That's going to be the, the theme of today, and of course that's common to everybody, but remember the book of Romans is really about the fact that there's a righteousness that comes from Christ and Christ alone, right? That we aren't righteous on our own, and no matter what people say or do, uh, people try to work up all kinds of things that they say is going to get them to God. But the only thing that gets you to God is believing that Jesus is the Christ and, and trusting in Him as death, as burial, as resurrection. And then we had that personal relationship. Anyway, communion doesn't do it. Confirmation doesn't do it. Baptism doesn't do it. Church membership doesn't do it. Good works doesn't do it. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Remember the first three chapters tell us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the bad news, the good news, as he tells us in chapter 4 and 5 and 6, that we're saved by grace through faith and that we are saved by trusting in Christ, that Abraham was saved that way, David was saved that way. We've been forgiven and saved. We have peace with God. And now that we are his children, we're to live like his children, right? And then in chapter 7, Paul really tells us about the impossibility. Just as we cannot be saved on our own, we cannot on our own live the Christian life. We need the Holy Spirit power. And we talked about that for seven chapters. He only mentioned the Holy Spirit one time. But then when he gets to chapter 8, he mentions it about 18 times. And he starts out this chapter... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have trusted Christ, those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved. We are no longer condemned because we have trusted in him. Because when Jesus was on the cross, what did he do? He took our condemnation, right? It says he came in the likeness of flesh and he condemned sin So because we couldn't do it. So he goes on to talk about all of that and about living for Christ as joy and peace and life and peace, but to live for the flesh is death and those that are in the flesh cannot please God. And he talks about the true believers have the spirit of Christ and we begin to live for him and he says that he didn't give us the spirit of fear again to bondage, but we cry out, Abba Father, Daddy Father. And that uh, the Spirit bears witness with us that we belong to Him. And if we're sons of God and heirs and then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, that's kind of what we talked about last week because we've been adopted, right? And it wasn't like today when we adopt somebody, we pick some unfortunate person. But God chose us because 
He loved us and He wanted us to be His children. Remember the Father, they wouldn't look for just anybody, but they'd look for somebody to take their head of their family if they didn't find anybody in their family. And so there was all these rights and privileges. And so He said, if children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, and we kind of talked about this just a minute last week in verse 17, of chapter 8 of Romans, he says, If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And that if indeed is really a sense indeed we suffer with him. And so before we really talk about that, he's talked about verses 14 to 17. There's four, four proofs of us being the children of God, right? Number one, we are led by God's Spirit. He leads <laughs> us and guides us and helps us to, to live the Christian life. And second, we have the internal witness by where we cry, Abba, Father. We know that he's our daddy. And we know that he saved us and we can call him the Father. Remember, the Jews would be totally shocked at that, right? That you would call God the Father. And remember, there's nobody else that we call Father but the Heavenly Father. And third, the Holy Spirit witnesses to us. And he says that spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then fourthly, we participate in Christ's sufferings. So we want to talk about that a little bit. To, and we want to talk about some of the things that we are, first of all, with the heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Let's talk about first and then we'll talk about the, the good subject of suffering that we all are anxious to get to, right? But there's some good stuff about that, though. So the first thing that comes if we're heirs, we've trusted Christ, we're heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And then he says here that the first thing we get is a heavenly home. Remember what Jesus promised in John 14? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you with me that you may be where I am also, right? And so there's a heavenly home prepared for us. And remember this is not just a, like a home and we sing that song and we love that song and but it's not really totally accurate i got a mansion just over the hilltop that word mansion is really the word dwelling places and when you talk about the dwelling places i i remember uh, they were all kind of interconnected right and it was like one big house remember when the children years ago i guess we don't do it anymore but maybe the generation previous to y'all some of y'all, then, then what would they do? They would build a house, and then when somebody got married, they'd build another room on, and another room, and another room, and there'd be just one big house, right? And the family would live all together. Now we're scattered all over creation. Could be anywhere in the world, right? And so we're literally going to live in the house with the Father. Second, there's a heavenly banquet. Remember the Bible talks about that, that how Jesus... He talks about a master who sent out somebody to come to the wedding feast and they refused to come. They had all these excuses. Says just go out to the highways and the byways and invite anybody to come, right? And that's kind of talks about that. And the five wise women that have oil in their lamps and the five foolish women who are shut out. And there's a heavenly banquet one day. There's going to be the great marriage supper of the Lamb, and God's going to, we're going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb, and God's going to serve us, and, and it's what we do today kind of in observance of that is kind of a foretaste of that as we take the Lord's Supper. 
Remember the Lord's Supper is just a picture of that heavenly marriage of the Lamb and that marriage feast that we're going to have with Jesus Christ. Third, we're going to rule with Christ. And I don't know, some of the Bibles talks about that. Second Timothy, some of the books talk about that. That if we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. Second Timothy 2.12. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27, talks about the fact that, that he talks about those servants. And he says, because you've been faithful in, in little, I will give you much, right? He says, enter into the joy of the Lord. And, and he says, I will make you ruler over ten cities. So one day we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. If you can imagine that, we're going to be rulers with him. That's part of our airship. And then also we're going to have a likeness to Christ. The Bible says one day we're going to see him because we're going to be like him. And as much as a human being can be like God, we're going to be like God if we're believers in Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe that we're going to have anything greater than that. But these are really the lesser items of our heavenly inheritance as children of God and heirs of God. But one of the things that Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26 talks about is that God is our inheritance. I don't know how much you've realized, but the Old Testament, when you look at it, it's just a physical picture of the spiritual reality. Sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what he's telling us the spiritual reality is. But he says in Psalm 73, verse 25, 26, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire by, besides you. My God and my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations 3:24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my, pay, my portion Therefore, I will wait for him. Think about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in the Old Testament, you realize that the Levites, everybody, every other tribe had an inheritance. He gave, God gave them land, right? But what did he tell the Levites? He says, God is your inheritance. And he put them in the land with the rest of the people, but they didn't have any permanent possession of land. They didn't own any land. They didn't get any inheritance here on earth because guess what? The Old Testament priests, temple servants, and teachers were seen as having God himself as their inheritance. And in the New Testament, that's what the, they were the Old Testament picture of the New Testament saints because the New Testament saints, when the writers write about the New Testament saints, what he does is he takes the privileges and the rights of the Levite priest and he applies them to all believers. And that was the way they said that the followers of Jesus were the true people of God and that now all believers were called to serve as priests to God. And, you know, that's what they did was they served as priests and that's what we're doing. What was that verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 9 talks about that you're a royal priesthood a chosen people called out of his darkness into his marvelous light and that we're to serve him right they had no inheritance but god is their inheritance there's one more verse in joshua 13:33 says but unto the tribe of levi moses gave not any inheritance the lord god of israel was their inheritance as he said unto them so the old testament 
picture of the New Testament believers was the Levites. And so if the earnest of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit, we talked about that in Ephesians 1.13, that he's the 14, he's the down payment, like the Arabon, the, the basically sort of like the engagement ring that says one day because he dwells in us that we're going to heaven and that's the down payment and the full inheritance is God himself. And I don't know what all that entails, but God is our inheritance and everything that he owns and everything that he is and his holiness, his purity and his righteousness. As we look forward, sometimes we think about these things and it's hard to imagine what it's going to be like. But think about the Old Testament saints, all of the Hebrews 11, right? What was it? Hebrews 11 verse 9 to 10 that Abraham was looking forward to a city whose builder and maker was God, right? Moses, he didn't love earth's treasures. He, he sought no earthly reward. Rather, he turned his back on the riches of Egypt and, and was disgraced for Christ's sake regarding of greater value what he was going to get from God. And it was the same thing with all the Old Testament saints all the way through Hebrews 11, right? Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Jamson, Jep, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. They were, some were tortured, refused to be released, that they might gain a better resurrection. Many were sawed in two, put to death by the sword, burned at the stake, all kinds of things. But yet none of them received what they were promised is what the Bible says at that time. But guess what? They've received it now. They've received that inheritance in heaven. And they're going to receive better than that when the rewards are fully come out now. There's joy afterwards, right? we got to look forward. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. I mean, none of us would have really began to introduce suffering as we, we were here in this section. But we got to realize that all of this is just preparing us for heaven, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the past, said uh, one of the things that was said was, why should we expect it to be any different for us? It will not be so. So when all the scripture teaches that our inheritance is in heaven and not on earth, why should we spend so much effort trying to amass our fortunes here? Or why should we expect to live our lives to proceed, expect our lives to proceed along a gentle, easy path when others have gained heaven only by sail through bloody seas? You know, and I always talk about how the streets are gold and the buildings are gold and they're made of pearls and all these precious stones. Think about how glorious heaven is going to be. And so he says, I recently. Uh, those words of Charles Spurgeon, they, they were written, and he says, Be not surprised when friends fail you, for it is a failing world. Never count upon the mutability of the unchangeableness of man. Inconstancy or his constant changing may wreck it upon you without the fear of disappointment. The disciples of Jesus forsook him. Be not amazed if your adherents wander away, from, wander away to other teachers as they were not your as they were not your all when with you, all is not gone from you with their departure. Serve God with all your might while the candle is burning, and then when it goes out for a season, 
you will have less to regret. Be content for nothing, for that is what you are. When your own emptiness is painfully forced upon your consciousness, chide yourself that you ever dreamed of being full except for in the Lord. Set small store by present rewards. Be grateful for earnest by the way, but look for the recompensing joy afterwards. Continue with double earnestness to serve your Lord when no visible result is before you. Any simpleton can follow the narrow path in the light. Fate's rare wisdom enables us to march on in the dark with infallible accuracy since she places her hand in that of her great guide. Between this and heaven there may be rougher weather yet, but it is all provided for by our covenant head. And nothing let us be turned aside from the path which the divine call is urged to pursue. Come fair or foul, the pulpit is our watchtower, and the ministry our warfare, be it ours when we cannot see the face of God, to trust under the shadow of his wings. Basically, Spurgeon says, no matter how bad it gets, we got to look forward to what God's got afterwards, right? And so Paul drags in this, this idea of suffering, and one of the reasons he drags that in is because he knows that the early people in the church were suffering, right? Just as today, people wonder sometimes, there was a book written by some people, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, bad things happen to all people, right? <laughs> Even in the New Testament, we'll see that Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, right? So there's two kind, There's really three kinds of sufferings. We want to just briefly mention the first two. The first one is common suffering. We all in this world, because it's a fallen world, we do what? We suffer, right? We get older, we have frailties, we have all the difficulties, we go through troubles, we look at all the things that are going on right now with the storms and how everybody is fighting and struggling. People have died, people are without electricity, people are having hard times, difficult times. And that's what we call common suffering, right? That everybody suffers. Then there's carnal suffering. And, and the reason some people suffer is because of the bad things they do, right? <laughs> they, they get the results of what they've done in their life. And we see that as we look around and we see when people do bad things, bad things happen back to them, right? But yet there's also a third kind of suffering and that suffering as a Christian. Remember Jesus said all that, or actually Paul said, through God and Timothy, First Timothy I believe it was, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. So if we want to live for Christ, we're going to suffer, right? One of the things, a second reason that Paul probably introduced this section is because many times people kind of have these weird approaches to suffering sometimes people get mad and when they suffer and they get mad with God they blame God and they curse God and their misfortunes and sometimes some of these people are really Christians and they blame God because God didn't do for them for what they wanted him to do for them right and we need to realize that that this world we're going to suffer and it's not our home but one day we get the stuff afterwards, right? And that's what he's going to talk about. 
Secondly, people kind of try to avoid suffering. And when the path looks hard or difficult, we try to avoid it. But what does James say? He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, right? He doesn't say, let me out of the trial, but he says, get, let me know what you want me to get out of the trial. What do you want me to learn in the trial? And then sometimes people, when they do this, say, uh, there's not wrong to pray for healing, definitely. But sometimes people will want to pray and say, well, I want God to heal me from this so I have this great testimony to say, well, God did this. But remember, the healing's not always on this side. It's ultimately on the other side, right? The healing is in heaven. And then third, third thing is that sometimes people get apathetic. They kind of get this stoicism. It just doesn't matter. And they get the stiff upper lip and kind of, say I'm going to get by and I'm going to make it through but then they don't have that joy and that peace that God says to have during those difficult times and so Martin Lloyd-Jones D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says true evangelism does not offer some panacea for all the ills in our life in this world it does not promise to make us perfect in a moment or to set the whole world right it says rather in this world you shall have tribulation but fear not, I have overcome the world. John talks about who is an overcomer in 1 John chapter 4, I believe it is. And he says, it is he that believes that Jesus the Christ. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world, right? And so Revelation 3.21 says, to him who overcomes, I, he will sit on with me on the throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. And so we got to remember two things about suffering. First, it's necessary. Uh, Jesus taught it was necessary. He said in Luke 24, 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then he said in John 15, if they persecuted me, will they not also persecute you? Suffering's not the end, but glory is, right? I mean, when we get sick, what, 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 what is it that helps us most of the time when we get sick, what is it that gets us through that sickness? Knowing that eventually we're going to get better, right? Sometimes we wonder, but even if, as we get older, we get sick, and sometimes we just don't get better in this life. But we know that that's going to be better in the other life if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We don't need to worry about suffering, especially if it's for the sake of trusting Jesus Christ. But suffering is a true proof that we are his children. That's what he says here, because this if, indeed we suffer with him. Remember I said that the ifs sometimes really mean sense, right? Now, I'm not an English major, my son is, but you know, when you say, he says, he's basically saying if children and heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, sense indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together with him. Remember Paul says in one place, he says, talks about that the outward man is perishing, 2 Corinthians 4, but the inward man is being renewed day by day, right? And he talks about another place that, that this is a momentary light affliction. I don't know if you've ever read 2 Corinthians 11. 
But go back and read that. Paul says he's been beat, he's been shipwrecked, he's been in peril of robbers, in peril of countrymen, in peril of all these things, constantly just peril, peril, peril. And then what does he say? He says, but this is a momentary light affliction which works a far more exceeding weight of glory, right? There's the truth about suffering. He says that suffering is proof of that relationship. Sometimes suffering is for perse- because of persecution, because we're being persecuted as his children. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you. Great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Keep in mind that it hated me. He says, if the world hates you, it hated me first. And so if they hated him, he says that no master, no servant is greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. John 15. So first Jesus suffered. Suffering was his lot. What does this talk about the Son of Man? That he was he he came and he didn't have any place to lay his head. And the whole time he was here, you know, he 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 had a suffering time while he was here on earth. When we suffer for persecution, it proves that we're on the side of Jesus and we're godly people. Martin Lloyd Jones again says that if you're suffering as a Christian because you're a Christian. It's one of the surest proofs you can ever have of the fact that you're a child of God. It proves we're Christians and therefore disciples of Christ. One of the second reasons is purification. You know, Hebrews 11, 13, that's not 13, 12 talks about that. He talks about if you're sons, then God chastens us, right? He says, but if you're not a son, he does not chasten you. Now that chastening, he says, is not not fun at the time that's not the word he uses but he says we don't enjoy it at the time but afterwards it 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 yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness that if we are trained thereby god re yields righteousness in our life remember jesus while he was here on the earth it says that it suffered that he might be perfected now he was not perfect not that he was not perfect in his godness but what he had to do as a Believe as a God in human flesh is he had to, the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature that he was perfected by suffering by all the things that he went through what does it say basically what God was doing was putting him through everything that we go through so that as a human as the human God God in human flesh he would understand everything that we ever went through the Bible says he is tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin that he suffered in all ways as we did, right? So that's what the Bible says that we need to realize that even Jesus, while he was here on earth, he was growing. And remember the old story about the refiner, how he says that, that as he puts the metal in the fire and it, like gold and silver and he heats it up and then the junk comes to the top all the impurities all the bad stuff and it comes to the top and the silversmith or the goldsmith he'll excuse me scoop scoop that off the top and then they ask the goldsmith he said one time or the silversmith says well how do you know when it's ready he says when i can see my face and reflected in the metal that's how you know it's pure and that's what god is looking for us right 
He wants to look down and see the face of Jesus Christ and his people. One of our hymns puts it nicely. It says, when through fiery trials our pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. My flame shall not hurt thee, hurt thee I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Remember, God disciplines us because he wants us to be more like him, right? Training, the third thing is, is the third kind of suffering is likened to the suffering endured when a, when a soldier's trained. Uh, Second Timothy talks about that. He wrote to Timothy, he says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ. Remember Paul talks about how he says in 1 Corinthians 9:27, I beat my body into subjection. And he, he makes his body his slave so that when he's preached to others, he himself would not be disqualified. And many times Paul uses those athletic metaphors to show us that, that we are in a race. Remember Hebrews says that too, right? He says, run the race with endurance, lay aside every weight, all the things that hold you back and the sin that so easily besets us and run the race with endurance, right? When we live as Christians and as we suffer and God, people look at us, what do they do? They see the power of God in our lives and they realize how great that power is. You know, Job, I mean, we always uphold Job as the ultimate example, but even his wife told him to curse God and die, right? There was one guy named Jonathan Cho. He was talking about some insights and suffering, and we, I don't know if y'all heard how much the Chinese church has grown, but because of the persecution and the trouble they've had, they have grown and grown and grown. What was the old saying? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, that because people have been persecuted, that's when it really grows. But he said uh, one Chinese pastor was imprisoned for 19 years, and when he was released, he, he found out that his church had grown from 300 to 500 professing Christians. And the same community later on grew to 20,000. And another group of Chinese pastors, when they were arrested, what it allowed was the young pastors to take over, and then it even grew, right? There was one last girl that I'll talk about, and we'll finish this up here. But he says there was a 14-year-old girl, and she was one of nine young evangelists who were arrested by the local police and forced to remain kneeling in one place day and night. On the third day of this torture, she fainted and was released. The others were made to suffer the same continuing torture for nine days and eight nights. Eventually, they too were released, and when they were re reunited, the 14-year-old began to cry. And they said, why are you crying? And she replied she was crying because they had been called on to suffer for nine days while she had only had to suffer for three. And she was 14 years old, but she understood the point of suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ and counted it not as a burden, but as a privilege. And so is it any wonder that the church in China today is growing at such a tremendous rate while the church in America is barely holding its own and is declining in most places as we talked about earlier in devotion and character, right? Most of us want only the good life, not godliness. 
and the 14 year olds think they're suffering if they have to turn off their TV and their phones and their portable electronic devices and do their homework or something, right? Or they don't get something. So we got to think about that, that God wants to use these things. The path of suffering leads to glory. That's kind of what one man said here. He said that when we trust Christ, that it ultimately leads to glory. That's what Jesus says here through Paul as he writes the book of Romans. He says, if indeed we suffer, that we also may be glorified together. Well, next week I want to talk about get into verse 18. That was all the rest of verse 17. And I really want to talk about verse 18. We're going to talk a little bit more about glory next week, the glory to come. And then we'll try to finish up this next section because... You know, we got to remember that this world is not our home. If we're true believers, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're just passing through, the Bible says. This world is not our home. And one day when we get to heaven, Paul's going to say in the next verse that the suffering in this world is not worthy to be compared with the glory which we'll have in heaven, right? Just put it this way, as the old song says... It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, I wish I could remember the name of that psalm, and I don't remember what that is right this second. But remember, it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. So if we know Christ, trust Him each and every day as we go through the difficult times and the hard times. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, we need to ask Him to forgive us, ask Him to save us, and change us and make us like Him. Because he died, was buried, and rose again. Well, let's, let's pray and we'll sing one more song and we'll be finished. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you for Jesus who suffered the ultimate death. He did not consider it to be a problem, but he suffered for us. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father because he went through the ultimate suffering. Father, we are so thankful for what Jesus did so that we could trust you and believe in you and believe in him what he did and go to heaven father we are so thankful for that lord help us to be your lights in this world and help us not to lose our salt that flavor of our salt but we want to be that salt that has flavor we want to be that light that so shines that others may see our good deeds and glorify you our father who's in heaven and we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in jesus name Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, 
to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.